Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is The Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Tom Dioro. Thank you, Shay. I want to say our prayers and and thoughts are with those in Houston, Texas, and all those in in the Gulf states. Remarkable people. And thank you to our very own Shay Jaggi, who is our producer and sound engineer. Thank you, Shay, from Houston, Texas. Shay, for our guest today, please welcome Alosha Verzbinski, architect and principal, TEF Design, Architecture and Planning. TEF crafts places that people love, embracing the challenge of designing flexible, high-performance, and human-centered facilities in a consistently evolving world have driven the staff at TEF since its founding in 1997. For more information, you can visit www.tefarch.com. That's T-E-F-A-R-C-H.com. Hello, Aloysia. We're grateful and excited to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. Thank you. Alicia, I'd like to start with something a, a little funny. Can you share with us a humorous situation, business or personal even, that may have occurred in your, professionally, in your professional life, if you're at liberty to share with us? Anything on a project that may have been kind of funny recently? Well, um, architecture is a funny business in general. In general, the whole thing is funny. Okay. Um, and my, my short-term memory is better than my long-term memory, so <laughs> okay. I'll tell you an anecdote from yesterday. Please. We were filling out a brochure for one of our long-term and very important clients. They wanted to kind of understand. It's an institutional client, and they wanted to understand kind of what we are all about. And so one of the questions we had to answer, and this is a healthcare client, one of the questions we had to answer is, what is your greatest healthcare achievement in the last five years. Okay. My answer was, I lost two pounds in the last three months. (laughs) 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 Well, what did they do when they said that? Uh, Well, we didn't actually put it in the final final answer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, but that's, uh, and it's relevant. How did you get started in architecture? Was it something that you just discovered you were good at, or was it something a long time ago that you said, you know what, this is what I really enjoy? Our audience is always curious as to how architects became architects. Well, I think people take very different paths to uh, architecture. Mm -hmm. My path was relatively straightforward. You know, I didn't grow up in this country. I grew up in Russia, and and I had a pretty classical arts education. You know, so we spent a lot of time in my high school drawing and painting, and I learned how to do, you know, perspectives and figure drawing and still lives and, you know, painting and, and, you know, things like that. And my goal, really, when I was, you know, 16 or 17 years old in high school was to become a product designer. 
an industrial designer. And there was a very famous institute where I grew up in Leningrad that sort of produced you know, people like that. But I never had a chance to go to school there because we left to come to America. When I, when I came here, I met somebody, you know, an advisor, who said, oh, well, you know, yeah, industrial design is kind of interesting, but really the mother of all design is architecture. So if you study oh, no. architecture, so you're going to be all set, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I was an impressionable 18-year-old, and, and, and that sort of, you know, meant a lot to me what this man was saying. But, you know, in fact, I'm not sure that he was, you know, 100% right, but, you know, it was enough to get me thinking about architecture. Mm -hmm. So I was maybe uh, 18, you know, when I first started okay. thinking about that. I really, you know, loved the effort, you know, that it takes to put a building together. From and the I'm very sure beginning. many, many are very grateful that you did choose this profession as well. Well, I don't know. That's for, for us <laughs> yes. to decide. Well, you're, being, you're being humble. As, as I said before, the show started is uh, in reading up your Considered the architect's architect. I love that line. I don't expect you to go, oh, yeah, of course I am. Of course but, I am. <laughs> okay, you did. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that. So that choice at 18 was a very good one. So that's a, that's a good lucky number, and that's a great field to be impressionable in. Not every 18-year-old is, is impressionable enough to go, <laughs> I will be an architect. I think that's where I'm going to go. That'd be awesome if it was. So how long have you been with TEF in you know some of the projects you've done here, even on campus? We are celebrating... Our our 20th year okay. this year. And that's a long time, 20 years. I started with TEF in 2001. I remember it was about a week after September 11th, 2001. Okay. So it's been 16 years for me. The firm was started by Doug Tom, one of my partners. There are four partners uh, altogether, Doug Tom, Bobby Fish, Andrew Wolfram, and me. And so Doug started the firm 20 years ago with some other different people. And the collective that we have at the moment altogether is, I think, three years old. So Andrew joined us about three years ago. Okay. When you say the, the collective, I like that word. It's a mm -hmm. great word, especially when you describe a group moving in, 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 the, in one motion. Mm -hmm. How is the culture TF? Is there a uh, simple uh, description or even go with a long one? I uh, want to hear it. because Well, culture is an important consideration, yeah. okay. uh, really, for our office and, and for our business and also for the final work product that we produce. It's a hard thing to define, the word culture. But we were founded on this. Uh, one of the founding principles that we have is the idea that we take our work very seriously. We strive to do the best, to do the best thing we can. But at the same time, it's not the only thing that defines us. And so we all started working in very large firms. And culture in large firms can be sometimes brutal if you're trying to have a family, for instance. If you're trying to have any kind of life outside work, it's difficult. You know, Is it the hours, the workload? It's or the hours, it's the workload, it's the kind of the perceived responsibility, not necessarily actual responsibility, but perceived responsibility. And also just Ooh. the fact that people, your colleagues, may not really pay that much attention to your personal life. You know, they're much more interested in uh, your in what you are able to contribute professionally. So in many ways, the culture that we have at TEF is a reaction to that. Three out of four of us have children. All of us have very active kind of social and personal lives. Mm -hmm. And we really expect that and, and encourage that from our employees too. There are a lot of children in the firm and a lot of children and dogs, you know, recently. Oh, really? Yeah. So you got your pups around? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. There's a, there's a, okay. I, I, am, I, I am convinced that somewhere there's a Google dog that is circling around where people are, you know, time arrivals of their of their dogs, you know, do not coincide with some others. But anyway, we have this idea that, you know, we are, we work well together partly because we know quite a bit about each other. Yeah. You know, and, uh, As, and that has to, that has to play very much so 
in your work life as well. And yeah. it was reflective with your, in your clients. You, we, we talked about something inter- earlier that I thought was really interesting and very relevant in that you were able to see a building and know if the designers and the team were happy people or if it was designed by happy people. I don't know how you quantify that, but take a, take a chance at it. I'd love to hear your uh, well, it's description. Well, it, it's hard to quantify, and really, I think that what it might mean is putting a building together is a group endeavor, always. Mm-hmm. There isn't really one person that is solely responsible for the work. It's not a client. It's not an architect. It's not a contractor. It's all people together. And so how they work together and how they get along together is a critical aspect of the final product, I feel. Mm-hmm. So often, I'm not sure that I can say, okay, I can look at a at a room or at a building and say that it was designed by 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 happy people you know happy is a you know is a, is a very kind of uh, you <laughs> I know, like how you stated uh, it though it was very like uh, wow I never it, thought it, like... maybe maybe it's a shortcut you okay. know um, uh, it, but it's a shortcut to I can tell by looking at details in the way that a building is put together by as to whether a team worked well together. You know, okay. if people kind of understood each other's motivations and if things were kind of worked out properly, you know, to, to everyone's satisfaction, that generally can, translates to some level of happiness. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was talking <laughs> similar to like reading tea leaves or something, right. that you, but you're able to read the buildings and see, oh, I can kind of tell well, where they were in their life by how they design and how they finished this building. Well, you know, architects, as a tribe in general, spend a lot <laughs> of a tribe. spend a lot of time looking at buildings. You know, when I go traveling, you know, my neck hurts because I just look up all the time and you know, and spend a lot of time looking at buildings. My wife, who's not an architect, sometimes less than happy about that. But as you mentioned before we started on the show, it's you know somewhat of an obsession, right? Oh yeah. And so yeah. we, you know, Thank we you. have um, uh, as a group, we are able to identify with buildings. I think more than the general population, we are yeah. able to see beyond you know the gloss on the buildings. To to, you know, maybe some cultural uh, influences or maybe some history, you know, uh, reflected in them. Yeah. So. Some of the buildings, I'll, I'll name a couple of, uh, several of them actually, that you've done here at Stanford. The Stanford, the Neuroscience Health Center, the Hoover Pavilion, there's more, but I'll just say mm-hmm. even the Children's yeah. Health. How, how did that come about? Was it a, a mutual uh, reach out from Stanford? Did you reach to Stanford? Did you, have you known each other? How did that come about? It's an interesting story. We discovered in the 20 years of running the firm that many Many of our projects come to us through relationships that people in the firm established a long time ago, you know. And in this particular case, Bobby Fish, one of my partners, had a relationship dating back many years with George Jingwald, who is chief of design at Stanford Mm -hmm. Health Clinics. They worked together as architects. George is a is a unique person in this profession. He has both an architecture degree and a medical degree. And, and so monster. he... Monster, exactly. <laughs> he reached out to Bobby many years ago, maybe I'm going to say nine years ago, and said, hey, you know, would you guys be interested in helping us out on a small clinic in Palo Alto? And, and of course, Bobby said yes. And, and that started a relationship that sort of blossomed over the over the years. And we've done, uh, you know, several buildings, two of which you, you mentioned. Bobby and I, since those early days work on every project together. We have our kind of individual responsibilities. Mm -hmm, Most of the work for Stanford has been medical, but that 
part of it is really uh, it's an important part of uh, of the work, but there are some basic truths about you know building design that are kind of universal. So out of the two buildings that you mentioned, Hoover Pavilion was an interesting building for us, an interesting experience for us because it was a building that was designed and built in the 30s. It was built originally as Palo Alto Hospital. And so if you talk to uh, you know many sort of Palo Alto and Menlo Park, you know, Digirati, and, yeah. you know, they will <laughs> they will they will say, "Oh, you know, I was born in room yeah. number 27." <laughs> and actually some of these people I know and they they when they heard that I was working on 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 this building they said oh you know make sure you don't screw it up you know because <laughs> this is my birthplace so like uh, so it's a building that had you know great great presence and sure uh, yeah. in the culture of Palo Alto and the history of Palo Alto you know it's dear to many people's heart and it's a very comfortable looking building and then yeah. it sits in the corner of pa- Palo and Hori it's about a four story building but it was designed as a hospital initially. And so hospitals work very differently from the way that modern medical office buildings work. And we were asked to renovate this building into a medical office building. Without getting too much into detail of what we did there, it was a building that required uh, us to take, like many buildings, a Hippocratic oath. You know, first do no harm. I like that. We wanted to make sure that the building survived our intervention in intact and yet be remodeled and renovated to serve as a modern medical office building. Excellent. Let's touch upon that one when we get back. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. The Draper Richards Kaplan Foundation was built on a belief in the power of innovation and a conviction that funding and support can help passionate individuals involved in select nonprofit organizations change the world. The foundation looks for nonprofits based in the U.S. that are led by experienced, dedicated social entrepreneurs with models that can scale to address national and global issues. For more information, call 650-319-7808. That's 650-319-7808. Or visit the drkfoundation.org. That's drkfoundation.org. Thank you. And now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Aloysia Verzbinski, architect and principal of TEF Design, Architecture and Planning. For more information, check out their website at www.tefarch.com. That's tefarch.com. Aloysia, how do you keep the integrity of the building? You, you mentioned you, we, you took their oath. How do, you <laughs> do, how do you do that? Is that not just structurally or formally, but like how do you kind of keep it in, your, in, the, in, the, in the essence of the whole project? Well, projects like this really require a lot of care. First and more, foremost, I think they require a kind of an enlightened client. You know, somebody that enlightened uh, client. Okay. Uh, well, somebody yeah. that 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 sort of recognizes the inherent value of a building like this, because it's not an easy lift to renovate Certainly a concrete not. building from yeah. uh, from the 30s to be you know compliant with modern codes. Concrete buildings are heavy, so structurally they don't perform very well in an earthquake zone. Also, in terms of layout, they are somewhat compromised, but they have some great qualities. And and so the idea is really to uh, you know you start you start with a client and then you you build a team around the goals of that client. And so we had, you know, our firm was leading the effort. Page and Turnbull was a historical architect mm-hmm. that sort of took the lead on, on writing the historic structures report and making sure that we identified sort of aspects of the building that were important to the building's identity. And of course, they could write, you know, many things, but at the end, you have to have a team that sort of listened to their recommendations, you know, and so both in terms of architectural components, 
but also in terms of structure, in terms of mechanical systems, you know, all of these things have to be put together in a way that is respectful to the what we call the fabric of the building. And in this case, we sort of identified specific opportunities that this building had, particularly to the interior space, but also inter, you know, to the exterior space as well. So the building had huge windows, you know, windows that were 10, 12 feet high oh. and just flooded the space with light. And so we were able to come up with a layout that sort of maximized that aspect of the building. And in some cases, those huge windows were a real asset, like in public spaces, you know, because, you know, medical spaces in general can be very high-stress environments. Uh, oh, really? Uh, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> if you've ever been to a medical space, and uh, you know, you will know what I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you generally don't get good news, and generally yeah. it's, you know, kind of a depressing thing. But and there's not much you can do about that. But what you can do is you can sort of limit the amount of stress on, on an individual. And so, you know, this is, not a, this is not a new thing, but, you know, daylight is extremely important. So in public spaces, we're able to position public spaces next to windows, next to these large windows, so they're flooded with light. And of course, you know, like on a day like today, for instance, in Palo Alto, you know, light is beautiful and it's a gorgeous environment yeah. there because of that. And, you know, you can sort of create materials inside, you know, and use materials that, that respond to light well, you know, rich materials that make people feel comfortable and make people feel at home without compromising the fact that it's a medical space and it has some technical requirements that are, you know, necessary to make it function. So that was kind of the positive side of large windows. But medical buildings, medical office buildings in general are, they have some public spaces like waiting rooms and things like that, but basically it's a collection of 10 by 10 rooms, you know, it's it's, it's exam rooms, you know, basically, okay. and, and there's a hallway, and there's not really much you can do about that, you know, that's the layout, that's how they function, they're little machines to perform a service, right? Yeah. And so, in those 10 by 10 rooms, those huge windows sometimes were a liability, you know, because, you know, the the, the room had too much really? light, okay. you know, and, and there was, you know, there were issues of privacy, of course, from, you know, looking from the outside. And so dealing with those windows and dealing with the shades and, and the ceiling heights and, and the lighting, you know, we had a very sensitive lighting designer that, that was able to identify those uh, things early on and create spaces that really work for people. Yeah. So the human experience sounds like, without sounding like, no, you know, of course it is, but the human experience is really considered in almost every aspect of the whole design, it sounds like, from your... Well, that's kind of, for us, that's sort of what it's all about. It's how people feel when they walk into spaces that we design. You know, that's, we have some verbiage about, you know, that just sort of describes the nature of our firm and creating spaces that people love is, is you know, an important consideration here. Yes. Yeah. And that's why, you know. Yeah. Are there other, other firms or other uh, universities or cities that have come to you from your work that you've done here at Stanford to see, you know, how did you do that? How did you keep, as I said earlier, how did you keep the integrity in your, your oath? And can you do that with with us as well well, we work for other people that know our work at Stanford. You know, we're, you know, of course, very proud of our work at Stanford here, but people like Kaiser Permanente, for instance... Yeah, I was going to mention them, yeah. Yeah, they're an important client for us, and, and we do a lot of work for them on the interior. They're a very different organization. They have different priorities. They have different schedules. They have different ways of doing projects, but I think that people are generally interested in that, in that aspect of the work that we bring. You know, it's not really all about medical space. 
case for us. You know, we do a lot of medical work like many other firms do because that is something that particularly in the Bay Area, particularly recently, has had a you know real boom. You know, we also do things that are community-based. Like what type uh, of projects? Uh, well, we do a l- very large portion of our work is nonprofit organizations. Okay. You know, we, we all serve in or have served in some capacity in some public organizations, you know, either they could be, maybe they're private organizations, but sort of non-profits, you know. So one of the recent buildings that had some play and was an important building for us was a headquarters, San Francisco headquarters for Boys and Girls Club, named after Don Fisher, who gave a substantial amount of money, you know, to its uh, building. I know you had our Gensler here, you know, yeah. uh, on the show recently, <laughs> and, and you know, he and Don Fisher, of course, have a long history of, you know, Don Fisher is the founder of The Gap, you know. Yeah. Anyway, this is a building that was built on an extremely modest budget. I mean, if you told me that we would be able to build, uh, you know, a building for that little money before we did it, you know, I would say that it would be impossible. But in fact, <laughs> uh, in fact, you know, and we managed, you know, and it's a building in which you, you can't tell that it was built on a, on a, on a, on a small budget. Why uh, is that? How did you, how were you able to accomplish it? Especially when you, when you initially thought, oh, this is impossible, but then you... Well, you have to be careful with places where you employ materials that might cost a little more. You have to be strategic about where that's used. You have to be strategic about use also. You know, so instead of building five rooms, each one of them might have a separate function. You build maybe two rooms and you try to design them in a way that they could accommodate all five functions. And then, of course, that's oh, okay. a lot cheaper. Sort of the the architectural metaphor behind the building or what we call a party behind the building, I often like to think is a, is a kind of a bent box, you know, it's a bento box. Bento box, oh, like know? the uh, like a the gen- like like a food. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I used to have those at the University of Hawaii all the time. Really? Yeah. 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 yeah they're good bento and good boxes. for you. To, <laughs> yeah. You know, and what I mean by that is to, is that it's a somewhat of a plain container, but the meal is is fabulous. Can be fabulous, yeah. and it's also sort of you know a combination of flavors and 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 you know things kind of intrude on each other, you know, and create some synergies between different <laughs> kinds of spaces. Say and, they intrude on each yeah. other. Well, they intrude in a good Forcefully, way. Forcefully. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's uh, you know it's por- all part of making the building function you know yeah. properly. Yeah, we'll go back to the uh, to the medical. I have a quote. I won't I won't say it exactly, but it was it's it, I'll, I'll capture kind of the the gist of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's from a professor and I am an architect at the University of Texas in Austin, mm-hmm. and they had said the architect profession has as much influence as the actually even more how I don't know, but they said as much influence on medicine and the patient care as the physicians do. What's your mm. thoughts on that? Mm. We'll get ready for all the bad emails. Uh, right. <laughs> but, but, but go ahead and say what you, you, um, your take on it. I, I, have, I have tremendous respect for the medical profession. I think they really are people that move the world in positive ways and have that ability. I think that together, architects, together, like and, that. Okay. To, uh, architects yeah. and, and physicians can really create an environment that is conducive to proper delivery of healthcare. You know, I was sitting in a, on a seminar a couple of weeks ago where the people giving the seminar were talking about sort of the levers you can move in terms of improving healthcare outcomes. This is what, okay. the, this is the kind of lingo that, you know, our clients often use, you know, improving health outcomes is something that's very, very important as you can see, yeah. you know, you can see why. So um, it turns out that the percentage of influence over healthcare over, uh, outcome that is controlled by the medical industry, and this would be, in this case, it would be architects, physicians, drug companies, insurance companies, those kinds of things, is surprisingly small. You know, it's... it's really? It's 
you know, I can't remember the exact figure, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20%. Many other things influence it much, to a much greater degree. Chief among them is lifestyle. You know, socioeconomic factors, you know, of course, genetics, you know, and various other things. So, you know, when we say that we can influence things, yes, we can influence things in, but, but the the sphere of that influence is is you know somewhat limited. Twenty percent. Yeah, it's the, somewhat somewhat limited. It's oh you know, but 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 it can make a difference. Uh, yes. You know, um, I think that access to natural light, materials that make people feel comfortable, those are all. Like things. what type of uh, uh, well materials um, um, make that? Oh, uh, is there a warmth uh, that they, they feel? Or uh, some some or some security. Uh, Certainly, some of that. Okay. Um, we're working on a on a project in Kaiser. It's called a med psych facility. Okay. It's a project to house people who are very ill. They might have you know kidney failure, or I mean serious serious diseases, but sure. who are also very sick mentally. You know, okay. um, many of them have to be restrained and you know things like that. And it's a it's a environment that it's a very very tough environment, particularly well for the patients, but also for the family members that come and visit these people yeah. uh, on a, on a regular basis. When we started working on this project, we read a lot of literature about what makes patients in environments like this more comfortable. And it turned out that one of the most important things is materials that look like what they are. So if, for instance, if you have a floor that looks like it's made out of wood, it better be wood. Because if it's a floor that looks like it's made out of wood, but in fact it's plastic, it makes people, you know, it, it creates a different sound, it has a different texture, it makes people un, un, acutely uncomfortable. I think this is true not just for compromised populations like that, but also for the rest of the world, you know. Uh, yeah. Even, yeah, let's talk about that when, when we get back. This is, a, this is the Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. You Belong is an organization that helps mobilize individuals for volunteering and educational opportunities designed to advance international development efforts and promote cross-cultural understanding. Participants have the choice of various immersion placements or shorter expeditions to learn about cross-cultural values and international development issues. For more information, visit youbelong.org. That's spelled U-B-E-L-O. NG.org. Now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Aloysia Verzbinski, architect and principal of TEF Design, Architecture and Planning. For more information, www.tefarch.com. That's T-E-F-A-R-C-H.com. Aloysia, we were talking about the effects of uh, the building and how the materials need to look like what they are. What other examples, um, please elaborate a little bit on some of the examples that really influence the patient's behavior and the feeling for everyone involved? Well, I already mentioned daylight. Yeah, I uh, noticed so, so several the, times lighting is very important. Yeah, so daylight is okay. critical, but also lighting. And so okay. there has been a lot of research done in the last maybe 10 or 15 years on lighting, and it coincided with huge advances in light fixtures. 
use. Basically, anything that we design these days, really regardless of use, not just medical space, we use LED lights. Okay. And so LED lights in and of themselves have a huge impact on the quality of space. As, as a matter of fact, we often say to our clients that if you have a limited budget to freshen a space up, changing lighting is, is a critical thing. Really? Yeah. You can make that uh, much of an you, impact? You can wow. make a huge impact. And it has to do with the many different aspects of LED lighting. One aspect of it, and not necessarily in that order, but one aspect of it is that it's very easy to make LED lights dimmable. So user control of their environment is you know, proven to be a very important indicator of how people are, uh, how comfortable people feel in their spaces. You what, know? You call, what you call that, Aloysia? User? User control. Okay. You know? User so, control. Okay. So, so you you could be in a, in a room where, where you open a window and that, that simple act of opening the window makes you feel like you control your environment and that feeling of control makes you happier, I mean, mm-hmm. in general, right? With lighting, it's the same thing. So dimming, you know, LED lights is a critical uh, aspect of it. But maybe even more importantly than that, the fact that LED lights put out a continuous spectrum of lights. With a properly designed and selected LED light, you can have an approximation of daylight, which, you know, so it's not, you know, when you look at a fluorescent light, for instance, it might be, it's a very narrow range of wavelengths, but a fluorescent light, but, but an LED light might have a much, much broader wavelength, Correct. which, which, because we are sort of outdoor animals, you know, the closer we can get to the to the uh, yeah, outdoor to, to, animals, yeah, to the to the outdoors in our in our indoor environment, you know, it's 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 good. The other thing that's particularly important in healthcare environments, and one of the buildings that we did for Stanford, it's right next to the Hoover Pavilion, is called Neuroscience Building, has also spaces for it's designed for patients with mobility problems and visual problems, and LED lights do not flicker. Okay. Right now, modern fluorescent lights also flicker a lot less. And to a person who is not particularly sensitive to that kind of thing, they don't flicker. But to a person who is more sensitive to that kind of thing, and usually people with neurological problems are more sensitive to light, that could be a difference between a normal day and a do in a day filled with migraines. You know, so so the fact that LED lights don't flicker by themselves is a critical part of it. LED lights can also be dimmable. And is that so, recent? Because uh, I know several years ago it was a more of a challenge for them. Yeah, to, yeah. Okay. When, 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 I, I didn't mean dimmable. I mean they can be um, adjusted in terms of their color temperature. Okay. And that's that's a you know critical aspect of uh, things as well because you know we could adjust them to we can design colors in a space and lighting together. Nice. So that really has more of an influence that that, that take on in concert mm-hmm. the medical profession, the architecture profession, and, and Engineering, all of that, help actually improve the, the outcome of the patient. Yeah, people feel more comfortable in healthcare spaces that are designed properly. I mean, yeah. it's not unique to healthcare spaces. You know, people feel, uh, people probably retain, I don't know if there's data on this, but but I, 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 <laughs> there may be, people retain more from books that they read in environments that they feel comfortable in, you know, so libraries. You yes. know, uh, people get more out of art in, in museums that are properly lit and properly designed. So it's not unique to healthcare environments. It's it's true, you know. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Alicia, what other projects have you worked on recently that you're at liberty to share with us that are really were maybe initially unique challenges and that uh, come out to be have a great outcome. 
I could sort of talk about maybe one project that is complete and has been complete for couple for many years actually. Please, but please but that, do. that that has been an important part of you know my life and in in many ways and and has also been a project that's uh, well received. And that's uh, East Asian Library on campus at UC Berkeley. Okay. Being in the middle of Stanford campus, maybe that's not the best thing to mention, but you know uh, oh, here no. we are. We're all safe behind <laughs> behind thick walls. It's a project that we worked on with a firm out of New York City called Todd Williams and Billy Tsen, and they are, you know, in my estimation and my estimation of many others, you know, one of the giants of modern architecture. You know, we all we all <laughs> want to be Todd and Billy, you know, <laughs> you know. And they came to us, they were selected to do this project many years ago, and they came to us at the urging of University of California to have a firm that was locally based, that knew construction practices and uh, knew local consultants and just sort of new local environments and could be their eyes and ears on the ground. And this this engagement was sort of blossomed into, you know, a, a you know, personal relationship with between me and them and, and also between others in my firm. And and it has been really, uh, you know, a highlight of my career because, um, well, that's terrific. It, you know, it's it's one of the it's one of the I like to say it's the second best looking building on UCC <laughs> campus. And What's you, number one? Go well, ahead. that that is that is you know up to interpretation. Okay. You know, you, everybody has their number one, but okay. you know, I I think we're firmly number two. Okay, and uh, maybe in some cases we're number one <laughs> uh, in some for some people, but it's a building. Uh, the working on that building really made me. It it really taught me a lot. You know. Um, um, it taught me about how to look at a work of architecture through the prism of human experience. It's not just about form making, although form making is important, but it's also really primarily about trying to create an environment in which people can can be human. That's you know, the, awesome, Alicia. I love that. People can be human. <laughs> Carry on, carry okay. on, please. Um, well, you I know, get excited. You're gonna have to pull me off to the off the walls in a minute here. I get excited about this, so keep going. Um, this is awesome. So you know, daylight is critically important, and we kind of you know we all know these things when we go to architecture school. You know, and we 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 learn. You know, we read works by 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 others, and you know, we go look at buildings by Corbusier. You know, that are all about light, and you know, but it's one thing to learn about it in books and to look at it in other people's buildings and it's really quite another to participate in a you know in a real and you know and and substantial way in creation of something that is that manifests those kinds of principles and so you know light air tactility you know uh, the ability to touch a beautifully sculpted wood rail you know and how comfortable that might make you make you feel but but also what it taught me is Todd and Billy's sort of ability to identify with the needs of their clients. People often think that uh, sort of, you know, giants of modern architecture are, or mm-hmm. architecture in general are, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, shall we say, aloof, yeah, you know, okay. and uh, <laughs> exist in, uh, in, uh, in the realm of Gary Cooper and, uh, <laughs> you know, the Fountainhead. And there is a certain amount of truth to that, but uh, that, that I think that's not true about these two people who are, you know, extremely in tune with the needs and the desires of their clients, but also in tune with the needs of the whole team that puts a building together. And so this is something that was really a revelation to me and I and I learned about I think I learned more from them about how to how to behave like a real architect than I than I did, you know, yeah. from from uh, anybody else. I like know? it. Behave like a real one. Yeah. yeah. As, be, a, <laughs> be. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to be the moniker. 
Yeah. And this was how long ago? So the building opened in 2007. Okay, so it's only recently that you've learned how to be. I love that. There's a great, there's a great line. I don't know which surfer said this, and now we're really going off the rails, right. but, but Surf- it's, it's going to be relevant. Uh-huh. Um, he's a great surfer. He was in his, I think, in his 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. No, he wasn't in his 60s. Say 50s when he said Oh, you said went to the University of Hawaii, right? So yeah, you, you know all about surfing, right? Okay, okay. I got so it. So he had said, he had said that after the first 20 years, that's when you know whether or not you like it. Right. Right. <laughs> and it sounds very similar to what you're saying about you became after I, so many years, you're like, wow, you woke up to it out. Oh, the essence of it. I I think that's yeah. true. I think that. Uh, so you're in yeah. your stride now. Like well, I, I don't you're know. You're hitting your stride. I, you know, okay. lifelong learning is what I like to say. But yeah. uh, but I it's true that, you know, as as young people in the profession, architects often can feel, you know, somewhat marginalized uh, in the construction industry because, you know, there are a lot of things that you don't control, money schedules, you know, client calls and wants something, you know, and, and, and. If you get too much of that, you start to feel like, what do I really bring to the table here? You know, what what is my what is my real contribution here? You know, I mean, I suppose you know you're Gary making, Cooper in the fountain, right? Well, okay. you, you know, yeah, yeah and that's <laughs> one thing, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but we all know how that ended. Uh, uh, so, you know, it we we bring in my in my opinion we we bring a lot to a to construction process you know we kind of we are in a unique position to kind of bring a lot of people together and align their expectations so that people are kind of moving in the same direction and it requires a certain kind of person i think and it requires a certain engagement with the work you know that yeah you have to be a little bit more you have to be a little egotistical you know to kind of you know uh, move the process along but you also have to it requires a little bit of a you know forgetting of self you know and okay. kind of selflessness uh, uh, yeah you know you have to kind of uh, think about the good of the project you know often that's a recommendation that i give to people who uh, you know work for us you know we occasionally get you know clients that are difficult to deal with you know and we don't really have control over that you know but what we have control over is how we identify with that and and, and how we engage with that person. And the advice that I often give to people is, you know, service the project and, you know, don't service the person, you know, because the person... Say that again, service? Service the project. Okay, service the project. Not not the person, you know, because the person is just one person and they may be in a position of great authority, but it's just really one person. And at the end of the day, uh, a project is controlled by many people. When you when you think about, you know, how to answer a particular question or how to engage with a particular problem, mm-hmm. what's the most important thing for the project? Not for you, not for that person, but for the project. And so we're kind of, you know, if you if we think of ourselves as uh, guardians of the project, then, you know, things go much better. Excellent. This is the Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM Stanford. Modern Tech News. Modern Tech News from the Bay Area and around the world is a show on KZSU Stanford from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Wednesdays. Technology, news about space, energy, IoT, wearables, sensors, robotics, AI, and high-tech innovations in engineering, medicine, and stem cell research around the world. That's Modern Tech News. You can learn more at moderntechnews.com. That's KZSU Stanford on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Aloysia Verzminski, architect and principal, TEF Design, Architecture and Planning. For more information, our website is www.tef, 
www.tefarch.com. That's www.tefarch.com. Aloysia, along the lines of how the architect has seen the overall good of the project, my opinion and my experience is the architect is really the, the only person that has that sort of care. At a, gut, at a at a at a soulful level, I know I may get emails for that, but <laughs> and that's fine. I can handle it because I'm it, maybe from me. <laughs> <laughs> Two, three of them, all from you. Different yeah, emails. Right. Uh, how how can you convey that to the owner or the the owners of the project? Not just that importance, but you're kind of the 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 only one that really cares for it at a at a gut level even more so since than some of the other professions. But, however, you have to work with all of them in concert. Is that too much of a loaded question? Uh, no, it well, is, it's, it's a complicated we question. We can talk about the weather. Uh, well, right. <laughs> it's beautiful. <Okay. laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a complicated question because it kind of gets at the, at the heart of what we do for a living. I wouldn't say that we are the only guardians of the project, you know, of course, typically. Of course. That's, that's um, an, ex- uh, it, 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 it's uh, an extreme. Uh, it's an extreme, yeah. it's, uh, um, you know, to, to, to make a point. But I would say that you want to position yourself on a construction site or in a, in a design meeting as, as a person that has an agenda because, you know, you can't really function without an agenda. But that agenda should be not seen as sort of sort of self-aggrandizement, you know. Okay. It should be seen as a furthering the goals of others maybe, you know, particularly, of course, the client, but also sometimes the contractor or the city or the public at large. You know, we often get involved in projects for municipalities. You know, we do a lot of work for the city of San Francisco. And when you ask me about uh, if I could talk <clears> about <throat> current projects or projects in my past that have been important, you know, we're working on a project right now in the city of San Francisco. It's a renovation of a pool building, you know, from the 50s. A pool, like a pool. swimming? Or yeah, a swimming pool. Uh, not um, Minnesota uh, Fats pool? No, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> That's a pool. That's oh. next. That's ne- <laughs> we haven't established an expertise in that yet. Uh, but we, we've, um, there are several people uh, that, that work for us that, that, that have done pools, and uh, I've personally not done a pool before, but we, we have some expertise in-house. And so, so we're doing, uh, we're renovating this building, and then we're building a clubhouse next to it to kind of make it more of a community building rather than just a pool. And, you know, in that environment, when you're building a public building in San Francisco, it's one of the most difficult things that uh, you, you can imagine uh, as an architect. Part of San Francisco is a very political, you know, city. People love to talk about things that matter to them in a, in a public forum at length. Yes, uh, and, at length. And, and uh, they, <laughs> uh, they, make, they make many, many excellent points. And some of them may be in conflict with the goals of the, the project, uh, well, the, goal, the goals of the project, but also yeah. with the goals of some other aspect of the community, you know. And so in an environment like that, you can't come out there and say, it's all about me. You know, I, you know, it, it, I'm the guy here, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is my building, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not really possible, you know, I mean, you will never be effective, you know, uh, what you want to be is you want to position yourself as a person who, or as a, as a, not, it's not a personal thing, but, you know, you position yourself as a, as a, uh, as an entity that, that kind of holds, you know, the good of the project in people in sort of in their hands, okay. you know, so, so you're, uh, you're uh, sort of in the end, you're responsible for delivering of that project and and you're not really the, the, the ultimate judge you know um, the ultimate judge really is you know is you know the public and the, and, and the, the owners but you are more 
in the position of a of an interpreter maybe in that uh, position you can be very effective because people say that they want one thing and they may not in fact want that you know they they may want something completely different and it's difficult for them to verbalize it you know yeah they may talk about forever about coat hooks in the, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the locker rooms yeah. but in fact what they want is a comf- comfortable environment in which to undress you know and that's a you know great the, point you know great that point. that is a completely different level of engagement and you're there to kind of help them get to that to that end yeah you know? uh, in thinking of this uh, as you're you're discussing this and even before in our la- the other topic i thought of something very simplistic to talk about the importance and the influence that you have as an architect overseeing the entire project very simplistic very easy so uh and it's this in the early uh in the early 1900s when american football was starting out there was t- talk of even outlawing it because it was mm-hmm. very dangerous there's a position there that they had is called a quarterback which right. everyone right. is familiar with what a quarterback is and the forward um it, they thought of the, uh, ending the ending the game, and as it moved along from the early 1900s to the early 1950s, there still was a quarterback, the person who took it from under center and handed off to the ball. Right. Well, the forward pass existed. Okay, uh-huh. it wasn't outlawed or installed. It uh-huh. always was there. The forward pass. So you have from the 1900s to the 1950s the quarterback who took the ball, but his position was never as revered or uh, not respected, but as, as any, not more important or influential uh-huh. as any other position. It was just, okay, he's a quarry, he takes yeah. it and he hands it off up until like the 1950s. Now the forward pass was still there, yeah. but no one was implementing. And one of uh, I don't know who said it, but it was actually quite funny. He says, well, there's uh, three things that can, uh, three things happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad. One, it can get intercepted and the second it can be dropped. <laughs> right. So, so there were two out of three that looked like, uh, don't do this, but he was the quarterback. And it wasn't until actually the 1950s, 50s and now until uh, today that you have the quarterback is now they understand that they're very central right. especially offensively to the entire operation and then they were one compensated for it two right. held responsible and blamed right. <laughs> both blamed and responsible sure. for it and three considered a real aspect or the kind of caretaker of the constellation of stars. And I'm mm-hmm. taking that from art, <laughs> but yeah. the constellation of stars, do you see that somewhat happening in the 21st century for architecture? Well, architects in, in many ways have embraced modern world in ways that were kind of unimaginable before. You know, we do, uh, you know, we do product design. We have, there are firms that do, you know, organizational behavior studies. And, you know, uh, Gensler, I think, uh, is kind of on the forefront of that. Um, uh, of that. Uh, so in many ways, we've branched out. In many ways, though, um, I think our influence has uh, lessened because of, you know, uh, I think others have taken responsibility for things that we used to take responsibility for, particularly on a construction site. And so we are a profession in transition. You know, maybe we're similar to uh, the quarterback, f- yeah. the football in yeah. in 1950s. But, you know, <laughs> parenthetically, I heard a, a quote about football recently that I found to be oh. very enlightening. I, okay. You, you yeah. seem to be a football fan, and I'll, yeah, I'll share it with sure. you, um, that football combines two um, very American uh, qualities, or so qualities that define 
uh, American life. Okay. Uh, extreme violence and committee meetings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, so you'll uh, have to be at the forefront of the committee meetings and the violence is actually, uh, uh, instead uh, of it, uh, it's actually uh, just action. Right. Uh, yeah. the violence is what happens afterwards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Rough no, committee. It, it's, it's, it's definitely one of my colleagues um, went to uh, Europe uh, recently and brought me back a, a little button. You know, that there's a little black button, and it's uh, from a museum called Maxi, which was designed by Zaha Hadid in Rome. Uh, and Maxi stands for Museum of Art of the 21st Century, and it's, you know, mm, XXY. Mm. Y. And so the button was a little black button, and it says, uh, in French, it says, architecture is a contact sport. Uh, ah, so and, there is relevance uh, to this. Yeah, okay. there is, yeah, and so I think that it's a, it, 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 it's a rough-and-tumble business, uh, yeah. for sure. And many people have a lot to say about how... You know, it's about the money. So how yeah. how the money is spent, and so we are. You know, we try to insert ourselves into that uh, conversation as much as possible because it makes it makes our job easier in in, in many ways, but it also makes the final product better. Excellent. And so I I hope that uh, in the future we uh, we will have more influence in in on you know, construction sites and in design uh, efforts in uh, in general. I think that'll the more influence we can have, the more the built environment I think will be improved. Outstanding, outstanding, Aloysia. It's been terrific having you as our guest today. Thank you very much. We've Thank been you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Today's guest on The Modern Architect radio show and podcast has been Aloysia Brzezinski, architect and principal at TEF Design, Architecture, and Planning. TEF crafts places that people love, embracing the challenge of designing flexible, high-performance, and human-centered facilities in a constantly evolving world, having driven the staff since well, 1997. For more information, feel free to visit www.tefarch.com that's www.tefarch.com join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect influencer or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities communities and lives the modern architect is recorded at stanford university studios in palo alto california and is a production of kzsu radio the recording engineer and production manager is Akshay Jaggi. The assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. The executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. Thank you for tuning in and listen in again next week at 10 a.m. for another edition of The Modern Architect. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect.